Welcome to Rail Group on Air, brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. My guest is Rob Benedict, Senior Director, Petrochemicals Transportation and Infrastructure for AFPM, American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. Rob develops association policy on congressional legislation and regulatory matters related to petrochemicals, transportation, and infrastructure affecting the refining and petrochemical sectors. Rob also advocates for AFPM member companies by communicating their key role in the supply chain and their efforts to improve the safe and efficient transportation of essential fuel and petrochemical products. He played an integral role in the development of AFPM's report, Fuel and Petrochemical Supply Chains, Moving the Fuels and Products that Power Progress. This report details the current state of energy infrastructure and highlights the need to maintain and expand it in the years to come. Rob Welcome, also Rob, to AFPM's Rail Group Sustainability on Air. Program. Uh, this is the first uh, podcast we've done with a, uh, an association that uh, represents major railroad customers, I should, fuels and uh, petrochemical companies. So. So what I'd like to do first is to ask you uh, for some perspective on how the COVID pandemic is affecting uh, your industry. Yeah, so, I mean, our industry is incredibly reliant on a kind of functioning supply chain. Um, we, we use all the modes of transportation, pipelines, waterways, roads, highways, storage, but we do rely uh, very much on uh, railway transportation. On a typical year, uh, we ship millions and millions of carloads. And taking a step back, we, we represent both the refining industry and the petrochemical industry. So not only are we talking about um, moving feedstocks such as crude oil, or, or natural gas liquids that are made into petrochemicals. We're also talking about moving the finalized products as well. So we'll, we use the rail uh, coming into our facilities and going out. So we're very, very much dependent on a healthy and safe rail network. And obviously, there's not really been any industries that have been spared here uh, with the COVID-19 virus. And, you know, as you can see from recent numbers released by AAR, the Association of American Railroads, uh, rail traffic is down across the board on record levels. And, and, and that also has impacted our members where we're seeing uh, record low uh, movement on rail. Um, there's a lot to that. And I, I think, uh, you know, um, our members are, are really interested in, kind of uh, the ability once this all gets behind us to bounce back and what that looks like. I, I think that's a very uh, big concern for our members. So you cover the, uh, your, your, uh, the industries that you represent co cover the whole spectrum. Uh, as far as the rail traffic goes, uh, it's um, uh, not, not only the, the vehicles that, uh, that are fueled by petrochemical products uh, aren't being built at present, that traffic is way down on the rails, but also, uh, also the fuel that uh, that they need to operate. So, so it's kind of it's almost like a double whammy, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about our industry too, we also support. Um, you know, we make 
fuels for for airplanes as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the refining industry, the the demand is definitely down. Um, and, and on the petrochemical side, we've seen a little bit more resilience because some types of petrochemicals um, are seeing more of a demand, particularly those in food safety and um, and and the medical arena. Whereas uh, things that go into automobiles or construction are, are seeing a hit, but I, I don't think anybody is coming out of this unscathed. But but we're confident that um, you know with the right measures that our industry, along with others, will bounce back. And and we're really interested to to have the railroad bounce back too, and able to to kind of meet our needs when we do ramp back up, which we think we will. Okay. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, about safety. Uh, one of the uh, rail safety, in particular, one of one of the things that uh, we've seen um, have have been some uh, considerations by the Federal Railroad Administration for easing some safety requirements. Uh, uh, like, like your comments about about what what's happening uh, for yeah. For so. Um, I mean, safety is obviously a huge issue for our members. Our members um, have are in basically the middle of a complete fleet upgrade. As you know, the DOT 117J and 117Rs, and, and you know, a lot of that cost is shouldered by our members, and we think that's uh, you know done a lot to reduce risk. Um, in times like this, I do think it's really good that the the process the Federal Railroad Administration has set up. They do offer waivers um, for, uh, you know, safety-related functions during times of crisis, and they have opened a docket particularly for COVID-19, but they do offer the, the, the timing or the, the opportunity for shippers and others to comment on those. Um, so, you know, nothing has really jumped out at our members to the point where we felt like we've had to, um, to, to flag or comment on any of those issues, but we do like that we have a process to do that. Um, more broadly, I, I think, you know, um, our, our members are interested in, in, in um, addressing root cause. That's kind of our, our big thing to prevent a derailment from happening. Um, the railroad industry has done an incredibly job to reduce the derailments, but we all, we always think we can go a little bit further. Um, and, and, I'll take this opportunity. Speaking of safety, we were pretty um, encouraged by the DOT's announcement this week related to vapor pressure. They were kind of going down a route of potentially regulating vapor pressure, um, which we we thought wasn't back in science. And DOT um, this week, uh, based on a report from the Department of Energy, kind of pulled that back. And and we we think that's good. And and we're hoping they'll focus on some other things now. Mm What what um, what has the railroad response been? If there has been a response to uh, to the study ab- about vapor pressure, so um, you know I haven't talked. Uh, it just came out, so I haven't really uh, conferenced with a lot of my railroad side pals. But I I do know along the process they were very encouraged by kind of uh, a robust and data driven uh, process. You know, I, I, it's kind of like the the ECP breaking thing. Um, I think mm-hmm. both the railroads and us want any regulation to be data driven. So, um, you know, I would imagine it, seeing that very extensive report by DOE, the railroads would probably be encouraged 
um, as well to, to see, but I think you'd have to ask them, but that's just my guess. Yeah. Well, well, you're, you're absolutely right. That's uh, the, the AAR in particular has, uh, and, and, and even now uh, the federal railroad administration under the leadership of the uh, Mr. Batori, the car, the current administrator uh, stressing let's base decisions on science Yep. Uh, and not on emotion, not on politics, but let's have let's have facts, and that applies to anything really, not just uh, not just safety of uh, or volatility of crude oil, but also things like one person train operation, for example. So exactly, uh, yeah, yeah. We AFPM was was obviously really interested in the uh, pneumatic controlled electronic braking systems, and, and, I, and I, I see kind of a of a similarity between the way that was handled and, and the vapor pressure issue. Both of those had had a, a large uh, study component. Um, with, with us, it was the uh, the Department of Energy Sandia National Lab. With uh, with the ECP breaking, it was the National Academy of Sciences. And when that research came to bear, the government took a look at it and said, you know, maybe we we either made a mistake or we should we should we should pull back. And in both cases, they did. So I think that's a success. I think the, I think if you ask the railroads, both of those are really good examples of uh, you know, the way rulemaking should work, um, the way the process should work. Um, so we were very happy with that. Yeah, I, I can recall uh, the push for ECP braking uh, going back to the late 90s. I, I've, I've been around since 1992. And, uh, uh, and at one point there, there was a, a whole timeline set up by, uh, proposed by the Federal Railroad Administration. This, this goes back to when uh, um, Alan Rutter, who preceded Joe Boardman as FRA administrator, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, several administrators ago, uh, set up this whole timeline, starting with unit trains, uh, and then then deploying it eventually over, I think, a ten or fifteen year period to the general interchange fleet. Mm-hmm. But since then, the um, uh, conventional braking technology for freight cars has has improved. Uh, different types of uh, uh, valves or uh, brake valves are available. The distributed power uh, uh, propagating air from the rear of the train as well as the front of the train, and also things like uh, um, so, some of the some of the systems that are the engineer assist, like like leader uh, mm-hmm. from New York Air Brake. So so what what the uh, what the railroads are saying is we have this technology that is that's pretty darn close to, if not just as good as ECP break-in when we don't need to um, make the tremendous, uh, huge investment uh, and, yeah. and re-equipping the whole fleet with, uh, with ECP brakes. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I mean, now you got PTC as well. So yes. you, they have, throw that in the mix and, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, uh, I'll commend, both rail shippers, but also definitely the rail carriers on the investments we've made into into safety on on all sides. Um, yeah, we just want to squeeze every bit of risk out of it. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what uh, what you might want to call uh, uh, reform, regulatory re- reform. What is the focus now? Uh, As you you you're, you and your listeners are probably well aware, the Surface Transportation Board. Um, regulates uh, a lot of the economic aspects of rail, and they were very busy this last fall with a number of proposals. Um, one, the the most kind of relevant one right now was related to demurrage and accessorial fees, 
Um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, the Surface Transportation Board released a policy statement of how they were going to look at those fees. They also uh, released a supplemental rulemaking on how those fees are charged and what information goes forward. So that's one thing we're, we're really interested in. Um, we're also look, looking at uh, rate reform in a broader sense, making sure that the, uh, the board's given a lot of different opportunities and ways to uh, adjudicate a rate case. You know, it was a, a big um, kind of uh, frustration of the shippers that the way that the system had been set up, um, the, the cost and the, the timing of a case to bring, bring to four mm-hmm. in front of the STB was, was so astronomically high and long as far as the timing that it wasn't worth it. Yeah. They did release um, a, a, another proposal about final offer arbitration with, with lack of getting too far into it. It's similar to kind of the baseball style contract negotiation. You give me your offer, I give you mine. We, we, and then they usually adjudicate it, but the, the STB system is a little bit different without getting too in the weeds. So we, we commented on that. So, so broadly, we're very interested in, in kind of the rate reform um, piece of it. Um, more kind of focused on these times, I think a lot of our members um, are really interested, and I kind of alluded to this before, uh, about the bounce back from um, COVID-19. You know, we already mm-hmm. saw with the implementation of of um, precision scheduled railroading, a, a large reduction in the number of people employed by the railroad. Even before COVID was any on anybody's mind, our members were concerned that what if there is a flood in the Midwest? How is how is the 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 post PSR world going to be able to react to um, disruptions like a flood mm-hmm. uh, or like a national pandemic? So. I'd be interested to see, I know STB's uh, probably looking at, at these types of things, and I'd be interested to see how uh, we kind of ramp back up from, from these, this massive slowdown we're seeing that's, that's hurting everybody. What, what is uh, your general take on, on PSR? It's, it's, it, it really, uh, really accelerated uh, a couple of years, two, three years ago when, when Hunter Harrison uh, the late, now legendary Hunter Harrison went mm-hmm. to CSX and uh, so, so, sort of uh, pushed things really, really fast. And there were a lot of hiccups there. But, uh, you know, you've, you've got uh, going going back to CN, a lot of years, and CP. Now, now it's, uh, it's being implemented in various, various iterations throughout the industry. Uh, Depending upon who you talk to, yeah, it's it, it's working. It's a good thing. Other others aren't so convinced. Well, what what is your your association's take take on PSR? Is, so is think, it working for you? Is what I'm trying to say, really. I think uh, initially it definitely was 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 not working for us, and the rollout was was troubling and lots of growing pains. I think you if you ask a lot of our members, it, it's it's gotten better gotten better from them. Uh, for them since since the initial rollout, but I still don't think it offers a, an incredible amount of flexibility. Diving in inside our membership, if it, it, it's even more troublesome for members who are are captive to a single railroad, which mm-hmm. doesn't really give them many options, which uh, you know ends up with them having to kind of uh, adjust schedules that may not be feasible. We've heard cases, and I and there was testimony in front of the STB about this about 
you know, changes in free days or, or storage now being required that have been um, pretty significant for our members. One of the things our members constantly say, and I, and I think the STB is kind of looking into this or thinking about this or, or, or is, is the data that is used to present how healthy the rail network is and how well PSR is working. You know, you are seeing kind of different metrics being reported out by the railroads. And, and I think our members would, would love kind of like a, a centralized on-time metric that the STB could use that would really show the full scope of, of, of the, the shipment and, and exactly how on-time and on-time delivery is. So your, your constituents uh, are large and small companies. So you have some companies that are shipping massive unit trains of, of product. Others, uh, do you, you also represent um, smaller companies that may have, I, I don't know how, how many carloads a week or, but, but. Yeah, yes. it, runs, it runs the gamut. Um, we do have pretty small refineries that, that are going to be the, some of the smallest in the country which are, are definitely not going to be pulling a unit train a week, but we also have those ones that are, are large and would be doing that type of thing. Um, same with, with the petrochemical manufacturers as well. It, they kind of range in size. So, so the smaller companies that, that ship, uh, that move smaller numbers of carloads at a time, they would have to fit into the PSR operating scheme. And I would think that uh, it might be a little more difficult for them to fit into the mix as opposed to, uh, a, a shipper that's that's doing uh, unit trains of 100, 110, 150 cars. Mm-hmm. I think I think the the size they all have their complications. They might be different complications based on your size, but I, I think that's probably an accurate statement. Have uh, have have you weighed into uh, this debate circling around what to do with all this crude oil? Uh, that's not moving. It's got to be stored. There, I, I know that there are still ships, uh, I think, anchored on both coasts that haven't haven't offloaded their uh, uh, their product. There's been talk about making making tank cars available for storage, but the railroads really aren't aren't. Uh, there's a lot of regulatory stuff that would prevent that from uh, from happening, or at least make it very mm-hmm. difficult. Uh, having to do with the uh, well, it 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 gets complicated. Do you have any any thoughts on that? So yeah, I mean, as far as the storage goes, it's definitely becoming an issue. It's a little bit more of an up upstream from us issue. Um, that said, our members do um, you know store products. Um, I know that shipping or storing in rail has historically been a difficult thing to do um, because you kind of are at that nexus of private public track, mm-hmm. EPA, DOT, who's, who's, uh, who's uh, on first type of thing. But I know that the DOT, I think FRA recently put out some guidance on, on storage, but I, it hasn't been a, a top of mind issue as far as our members just at this moment in response to this. I think it's more of um, kind of the crude downstream producers and them, where are they going to store it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the second baseball analogy you've made. Who's I'm, on first? Uh, I'm, I, I'm obviously <laughs> I don't know. He's on third. Pandemic. <laughs> uh, uh, Got to yeah, throw in I'm a little big, humor here sometimes just to lighten things up. But uh, Big Orioles uh, fan here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 Baltimore Orioles? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, uh, all right. New York Yankees here, but that's okay. okay. Well, I won't hold that against you. <laughs> okay. 
Let's get a little bit into uh, safety and, and preventing uh, accidents, uh, uh, derailments specifically, uh, root causes. Uh, uh, is there a specific process that, um, that you might have in mind to, to follow in terms of uh, uh, finding or, or determining root causes? When I talk about root causes, I'm talking about kind of eliminating a derailment from happening in the first place. Right. And when we go there, we kind of think of uh, of some uh, some open actions that are going, but also some other ones that are kind of uh, potentials. The, the FRA is looking. They have a, a rule that they published on track integrity standards that would allow for more continuous and more frequent inspection of tracks. We think that's mm-hmm. a really good good start. And I think you'd ask around the industry, you know, I think the railroads want to test track more. And I think we should find a regulatory scheme or or catch up the regulations so that they can do that. So I think that's, that's a great start. I also think, um, you know, there had been discussion at, at FEMSA about, um, and this could serve a dual purpose, more wayside detectors to um, not only know where shipments are, but also to do diagnostics on equipment and track and those things. So I think those are kind of two areas that, that are ripe for, for looking at. Um, there are technologies now that, uh, that are being looked at and or deployed along the lines of what you're talking about, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, machine vision. All these things really are, will make uh, uh, inspection more accurate and also possibly more frequent. Um, so uh, I, I, I think that's, that's pretty encouraging. And, and, so, and this may fit into what now, what, uh, what, what uh, the industry is starting to think about and this so-called quote unquote P, uh, uh, PTC 2.0, which is taking the bandwidth that's available under positive train control and then using that available bandwidth to uh, to add le- d- new, new layers of technology mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for detection, uh, either onboard or, or wayside. All of this is going toward uh, uh, make, making, the, uh, making the industry a bit, a bit safer. So would, I would yeah. imagine that's encouraging to you. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, the, that, that type of technology um, not only can improve safety, it can improve efficiency and kind of give everybody a clearer picture of, of how things are moving and how healthy the network is. So I think like technologies like you mentioned there kind of are, are a win all around. In terms of working with the, working with the rail industry, is there a, a, a select but small group of industry uh, sector ex- experts that are willing to sit down with the FRA and some key experts from the class one railroads and, and dive into this subject a bit more. Well, yeah, there's a couple avenues. Um, though the one that we're excited about uh, being kind of reconstituted was the rail safety advisory committee. It's a, a federal advisory committee. Um, the Trump administration kind of pulled back and said, let's reevaluate all these, these groups and see which ones we need. Um, the FRA just announced the Rail Safety Advisory Committee is going to be reconstituted with a specific hazmat uh, proponent to it. So we're excited about that. We attend those meetings, um, and you know it's a very good avenue to kind of work through the regulatory process to get things done. We are, have observer status on the A, the American Association of Railroads uh, Tank Car Committee. 
um, which I think is great for tank cars. I know they have other committees on other uh, issues such as track integrity, and I think those those are good as well. Um, you know, and we frequently you know talk with the railroads as well as rail suppliers like RSI, the Rail Supply Institute. Uh, about our issues. Um, you know, we don't always agree on everything, but I think we have a very good relationship and we're all uh, kind of driving for the same, the same goal, which is, is no incidents at all. If right. Right. The, the railway supply Institute, the uh, RSI does have a dedicated uh, committee on tank cars and, and they, they not, then not only do they work very closely with the builders uh, and the and the customers, the leasing companies, but I imagine they would they would also in, interface with organizations like like yours. Yeah, a great example of that is we've had frequent conversations since the COVID uh, um, pandemic started with the rail suppliers about they they're asking us, hey, are you seeing any disruptions in the parts you need to move the tank cars that you own? So I think that's been a really good good experience, and 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 it goes beyond that, but that's just one example. I just had a, a question about, uh, uh, and I know it's a tricky area, a uh, difficult area to get, at least get my head around, but the uh, insurance, the risk insurance. Uh, uh, someone posed, uh, one of my colleagues posed this question. So it's not my question. It's from a colleague okay. who knows a lot more than I do. <laughs> is, a, is a risk insurance pool one approach to, at minimum, help project a certainty? of public damage and uh, health recovery financing in, in the event of some catastrophic accident. In my former uh, career, I, I worked with the federal government at, at um, the DOT, and one of the projects I worked on was, was a report to Congress on insurance in the rail industry. It was mandated as part of the FAST Act, um, and it was submitted after I left the agency. But... I, I kind of refer to that because it, 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 it's like about, I think, a 120-page report to Congress, and it, and it highlights um, and lays out the, the rail industry and the complications with kind of liability insurance that, that, that are specific to the rail industry, but then it offers a lot of different uh, kind of examples of other large industries who've done that type of thing. Um, the short answer to your, to your question is I, I think it's a really complex thing. The ultimate report didn't make any specific recommendations, but I think that's something that would require getting all the interested parties together to discuss if that was, was going to be uh, uh, an initiative by any regulatory agency because it's, it's a real tough nut to crack as far as, you know, when, it, when are you responsible, when am I responsible, that, that type of thing is always right. difficult. But I know after Locke McGantic, that was kind of the nexus for this study was, um, you know, that obviously that rail line went out of business and there was other um, smaller rail lines in the U.S. that were concerned. So not only is it a shipper versus a carrier issue, it's a large carrier versus the short line issue. There's a lot of different people involved in that. Obviously, Rob, things now are are very much, uh, a lot of people are and many industries are preoccupied with, with the pandemic and, and response to it and recovery. Uh, so a lot of the things that, that we've talked about here have to do with uh, continuing efforts. Do you have any idea or have any time, is there any sort of timeline when, when these things will come back to <laughs> full-time work, I guess, if you want to put it that um, way? 
I, I wish I would know uh, for my own sake that the answer to that question, every area and industry is going to kind of have a different um, pace of, of getting back. I know uh, our industry as, as refiners uh, and petrochemical manufacturers are considered essential. So we've continued to kind of operate. Um, the, the issue there is the demand for products. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, as you see these restrictions lifted, you're going to see uh, more people using our products. Um, but but our, our, our industries are still running and will continue to run, you know, throughout this. Um, as far as rail traffic, I think that's just a matter of time um, as people get back to their normal lives. Well, Rob, this has been a very productive discussion. Uh, thank you for, for joining us. And uh, uh, as I say to everybody who participates in uh, our podcast, uh, we wish you good health and um, have a safe day. Thanks for having me. <laughs>